Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you Monday, June the 6th. Good to be with you here in the month of June. Um, just uh, so much to get to. Uh, thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, for sponsoring the uh, first segment of this podcast, News and Notes, or however you want to call it. <clears throat> a lot, not a lot of hard news out there, but uh, news nonetheless. Uh, SEC meetings in Destin this past week failed to produce a consensus uh, with the scheduling for the future of the Southeastern Conference. Of course, that impacts South Carolina. Uh, looks like they're going back and forth between eight and nine conference games. Now, I, I put on the BigSpur.com uh, the other day that uh, I think for Carolina, eight would be ideal. And uh, here's why. It, it, you know, you, you go, you have eight, uh, you have one permanent opponent. It's probably going to be Kentucky, just looking at it. Um there's a lot of natural rivalries, uh, top tier rivalries. In other words, you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, they're, they're not going <clears> to <throat> not play the Egg Bowl. Um, Texas AM and LSU probably would hook up because Texas and Oklahoma, uh, that's a marquee neutral site game that the SEC definitely wants uh, in its television uh, package every year. Florida, Georgia, same way. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, same way. Uh, Tennessee and Vandy, I can't imagine them not playing, even though, I mean, it's been more of a competitive rivalry lately <laughs> than certainly it was uh, before the Vols kind of hit the skids. They, they've, I think they've lost four or five games to Vanderbilt uh, in recent years. But, uh, you know, that, that's an, a quote-unquote in-state traditional game, and they'll probably hook up. So, you know, with Kentucky having their in-state rivals, Louisville, and South Carolina having their in-state rival is Clemson. Those are two ACC opponents. It just makes sense. Uh, you know, other possibilities would be Missouri or Arkansas. Um, Gamecocks have certainly uh, have, have history with both those teams. You get a trophy for the Missouri game. Um, you know, so there's some outside 
possibility I could see with a one seven format where the Gamecocks would get Missouri or the Hogs, but you know, that would throw Arkansas and Kentucky playing or Missouri and Kentucky playing. I, I just, you know, the SEC, when they redid everything, <laughs> there's a reason why Missouri and Arkansas suddenly started playing uh, most of the time on the Friday after Thanksgiving. You know, it's called the Red Line Rivalry. They have a sponsor, I think. Uh, they're trying to get, um, you know, get that thing going. Uh, and they're border states. And, you know, it's not that bad of a drive from Columbia, Missouri to Fayetteville, Arkansas. They're closer than um, just about everywhere else uh, for the Missouri Tigers. So that that's an assumption there. Uh, you know, I, I assume Tennessee and Vandy would want to play every year. Uh, you know, so I can't. You know, Kentucky's really it when you drill it down. You know, thank goodness it wouldn't be Texas A&M. Uh, there's a trophy for that game, too. The Gamecocks have just never won it. And, uh, you know, Texas A&M and LSU, that was uh, sort of a traditional game way back before the SEC expanded in the 90s. Uh, you know, I think they like playing each other at that time of the year. Uh, you know, so you just kind of go down and it would be Kentucky. Well, then you got seven every year that rotate. So in other words, you'd have a slate of seven in odd number of years, slate of seven in even number of years, uh, and you go from there. Uh, and kind of depending on how – and that's going to be the key, guys, about how this whole thing sets up. Whether it's 366 or 177, you know, the important thing, because there's more games, will be like what's that rotating slate like uh, each and every year. And I, I have no idea what they'll do with that. I, I – uh, I would assume it would not be based on geography. Uh, in other words, like one year you play teams to the east and the next year everybody goes cross conference. I think, you know, they're going to have some sort of balance geographically with those six or seven games, uh, you know. So, you know, some years you have more eastern teams, some years you have more western teams, 4-3 or, you know, 6-3 or whatever, you know, or I'm sorry, 5-1, 5-4-2. Uh, my math uh, right now, this early in the morning is not necessarily superb, but uh, yeah, there you go. So, you know, and keep in mind too, South Carolina has some home and home scheduled. They have two neutral site games scheduled coming up, one in Charlotte in 2023. And you know, obviously I don't think the Big 12 is going to let Texas and Oklahoma bolt for the 2023 season. I think it's 2024, probably 2025. Uh, but in 2025, the Gamecocks have Virginia Tech and Atlanta, um, and I, in the Chick Fil A kickoff, I don't see, I don't see the Gamecocks getting out of that one. Um, that's a, it's important to play in Atlanta, I think, in Mercedes Benz Stadium. Get your players excited, your fan base excited, and the Gamecocks have played in Atlanta far too uh, infrequently over the years. I mean, you're talking 69, and, and really the two. Uh, trophies the Gamecocks have won for regular season performance, a division title in the SEC in 2010, and then the 1969 ACC championship. Uh, those are the two years the Gamecocks have gone to the Peach Bowl. So you played in Atlanta two years or two times in 2010, back-to-back -back, uh, at the Georgia Dome. And uh, 1969, I think, was a, the West Virginia game in the Peach Bowl, 14-3, uh, Mountaineers won. I think that was at Fulton County Stadium. Uh, so the game guys have never played Mercedes-Benz, uh, barring a big run this year. The next <laughs> 2025 will be the uh, the first time. 
but you know, I, I think I think Atlanta <laughs> kind of being the capital of college football, uh, the Hall of Fame's there. It's you know, right, it's the largest city, really in the southeast. You know, I, I think it's important. Gamecocks recruit a, a bunch there uh, to have that game and to keep that on the schedule. Now, the rest of it, because there's a home and home with Miami in 2026, 2027, a uh, home and home with NC State, a home and home with North Carolina, and then in the 2030s, a home and home with Virginia Tech. Um, and those are all future games. So, it, you know, those, in my opinion, if they go to nine, could be in peril, maybe not. I don't know. Shane Beamer's comments were that he wants to play a tough schedule. Uh, and, you know, that's why you come to South Carolina. That's why you play in the SEC. Uh, you know, I, I think there's always a balance there. But, um, you know, I, I think with a 1-7 format and remaining at eight uh, in the SEC, uh, it, it, it provides you more flexibility. And, and I think – that's kind of the whole uh, concept now. I mean, fans these days, and, and, and it got stale, honestly. I mean, there's really no reason why in 2024 the Gamecocks will be making their first trip to Bryant-Denny since 2009, which was Saban's first national championship year. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, at least before, you know, Carolina played over now at Alabama in 92 uh, uh, they played in 04 over there. They played in 2000 over there. They played in 09. I mean, that, that's a little more frequent. Uh, but with what they're doing now, you're going to end up going to, you know, every stadium in the SEC over the course of four years. That means every two years, every four years, you'll go to Austin, Texas, Norman, Oklahoma, College Station, uh, just about everybody you know, and, uh, or everybody indeed Baton Rouge, all those fun road trips will pop up more frequently. And so I, th I think that's good for fans to have a little variety. And, and I, I think, you know, when I've talked about bowl games over the years, I've thought, well, heck, the, the best thing to do would be to just make it a free for all like it used to be, you know, you'd have these guys making backroom deals with bowls and stuff like that. And, uh, you'd have, you know, more fun trips, uh, probably better matchups for TV uh, and things like that. You know, somebody in the athletic wrote the other day about the Boca Raton bowl. Uh, and, and the gist of this was, it was Andy Staples. If I correct, like Andy a lot, like his barbecue stuff. Uh, he played football for coach Spurrier at Florida um, really has a good head on his shoulders. Even if, even the things you disagree with him on, you sort of see his point, not really an agenda-driven guy. Uh, and I like that about Andy. So he, he was pointing out that the 3-6 model is a no-brainer. And I, I tend to agree with him if you look at it big picture-wise. You know, from Carolina's perspective, given the games they have scheduled, uh, the 1-7 to me is a little bit, you know, better. However, you know, I, I think we're going to end up with a 3-6-6, and, and that's the deal. And as far as the permanent opponents go, um, I think, according to the report, or reports I've read, uh, that you're going to see, you know, I guess the quote-unquote bottom seven of the SEC, uh, starting with Tennessee and going through Carolina. Now Tennessee, obviously, used to be top six, you know, and you're going to see two of the three – permanent opponents come out of that pool. So 
Uh, a lot of the speculation I've read was that, you know, if they go to a three, it'd be like Georgia and Mississippi State and Missouri or uh, Georgia, Kentucky and Mississippi State or Florida, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, something like that. And Arkansas, maybe. Uh, Missouri's popped up, though. And, and I think, you know, University of Missouri probably would, you know, they, they think South Carolina is their big rival, you know, with the Columbia Cup or whatever. You know, so if you ended up with, uh, let, let's say you ended up with Georgia or Florida and then, you know, Kentucky, Missouri or Missouri and Mississippi State or something like that, I mean, I think that's definitely doable if you're the Gamecocks, you know, because the two of those three games you should – every single season be very competitive in. And then, you know, Florida, depending on what happens with them. Uh, and then Georgia's obviously rolling right now. So, uh, but that's right now. And Carolina's won that game before. So, you know, it's a little bit, you know, when you, when you start looking around, and, you know, I, I don't think the Gamecocks three permanent opponents are going to end up being like Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. You know, I just can't see that happening. So, you know, that there's some relief there with that model, even if they go to nine. Uh, but Benanny was talking about, uh, you know, how, look, it's, uh, it's a no-brainer to, to go with uh, the 366 model. And apparently, you know, it, it's Kentucky has sort of uh, been the, you know, the, the school that's, you know, argued against it the most. Uh, and I understand that. I mean, the Wildcats in football right now, they've won 33 of 50 games. Um, they have a formula where they play three cupcakes in Louisville every year. And, I, you know, you don't see Kentucky when you go into the future uh, with a lot of tough non-conference games on the schedule outside of Louisville. Uh, and that's by design, you know. And, and I think if, if you're the University of Kentucky – you know, football is supported well. I mean, folks, we've all been to Lexington, or most of us have. We've seen the crowds they get. Uh, it's not like they don't support football, even though they're a quote-unquote basketball school. Uh, but, you know, they're rolling right now in football. I mean, this is the best period they've had since Bear Bryant was the head coach. And so why would they want to go to something where, you know, in a down-cycled year they could potentially not make a bowl with that extra loss where, you know, if they get a six and six, the music city bowl obviously loves them. We found that out over the years <laughs> and uh, you know, they get to go to Nashville and their fans get a nice reward and a trip. You know, I, I don't know that Kentucky's worried about the college football playoff and all that. And, and by the way, if you play eight sec games and you've got a, you know, three cupcakes and Louisville uh, with you on your schedule, and you win, you know, you're still going to the playoff. I mean, it, 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 the, the SEC games alone jack up that strength of schedule. You know, there's no need, you know, if you're Kentucky to do that. And, and really with South Carolina, too, you think about, you know, my schedule in Miami right now, and it, it's, it's you look down the road in 2026, if Crystal Ball gets that thing going, that's going to be a bear, Right. But, you know, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, North Carolina, I mean, playing those games, you know, that, that shouldn't scare South Carolina off. I mean, I was thinking the other day about the series with the Tar Heels and the 2019 loss notwithstanding. I mean, Carolina's won seven of nine against them, including the two out of the last three in Charlotte where they've been underdogs. 
or should have been underdogs. I mean, 2015, I think the Gamecocks were a favorite by a little, but that North Carolina team ended up winning nine games. And uh, South Carolina, obviously, was three and nine. And Spurrier left in the middle of the season. So, you know, that was a game where, you know, thank goodness for Sky Moore, but, you know, the Gamecocks have sort of had pretty good uh, luck against the Tar Heels or luck or, you know, they've just been better or whatever. You know, certainly in the bowl game, that, that wasn't luck. That Carolina lined up and beat them. And so that was a, that was a good thing. That's why everybody's feeling good this offseason, right? Uh, got a big win over a team that a lot of Gamecocks don't like. So that's always uh, always very, very nice uh, to have. But, you know, look, uh, you got the game in Charlotte in 2023 with the Heels, and then you got home and home later on in the decade. And, you know, Carolina hadn't been up at Chapel Hill since 07. Uh, the Tar Heels, I think, were in Columbia in 2013. It's been neutral site ever since in Charlotte. So, you know, going Chapel Hill is kind of a, a good trip, a good road trip. Same with Coral, not Coral Gables because they don't play Coral Gables, but in the Fort La- greater Fort Lauderdale area <laughs> for Miami. Um, you know, nice road trips uh, for uh, South Carolina and the loyal Gamecock Nation to happen there. All right, I want to tell you, as we transition to our next segment, Cindy Searfoss, realtor, my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue, uh, she's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate for more than 35 years and would love to help you with your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or email her, ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbkane, C-B-C-A-I-N-E, dot com. And uh, she'll be able to help you out, Spartanburg County, Greenville County, wherever you're looking for a home or looking to sell your home. Uh, in the upstate of South Carolina, Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, my hometown of Sparkle City, 864-414-5271. Tell her JC sent you. Proud sponsor of the Inside the Game Cox podcast. So continuing on that subject, you know, just a little history lesson here, because I, I do hear people from time to time, uh, along with the, the list of complaints about the athletic department, some of which are legit, some are not. This this is probably not one of them uh, because you got to kind of understand, uh, you know, and, and look, when, when you're not winning or, or when you're in a league like the SEC where there's all these uh, prima donna programs, you know, <laughs> even the ones that are up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, they, they think they should be up all the time. Um, you know, Alabama's really the only one that's – been very consistent over the years. Now Georgia under Kirby Smart's been pretty consistent, 66 and 15. And they won the division every year but one, or every year but two since he's been there. Um, and that's a good run. That's that's better than Rick. You know, everybody kind of talked about Kirby at the beginning, just being kind of the same as Rick. And well, they had a breakthrough and won it uh with the most uh, dominating defense I've seen, uh, really, maybe ever in college football and uh, all that good stuff. So, you know, there's really two consistent programs, but when you're in a league like the SEC and you're South Carolina, you're always trying to kind of find your place or your niche or whatever. And, you know, football is very competitive and all that good stuff. And the history's not, not super at South Carolina. Uh, but, you know, here, here's the deal. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where if you actually look at it, 
the SEC with their scheduling decisions has always been pretty fair, especially to South Carolina. Um, when the league expanded to 12, you know, there's the quote unquote big six, right? And that's at the time as Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, Alabama, and those six schools uh, for the past, since the early sixties. So we're going on 60 years here. Uh, those have been the ones that have won titles in football. Now, occasionally there's been a Kentucky, you know, that uh, I think under Jerry Claiborne, they may have had a year where, you know, they, they won 10 and tied after the fact because somebody forfeited. But I'm talking on the field, you know, Ole Miss was the last team, uh, and I think Archie Manning was playing there in the 60s uh, to win the SEC outside of those six. So what they did was uh, when they were doing the permanent opponents, they were like, well, you're, you guys are going to play each other. You know, Florida's going to play LSU and Auburn and, and all like it. Alabama's going to play Tennessee. And I don't remember who Bama's other permanent opponent was. But, the, you know, and, and then South Carolina uh, from 1992 to 2002 played Mississippi State and Arkansas every year. Okay, great. Uh, well, then, uh, you know, they expand. Uh, they didn't expand. They, they moved it to one permanent opponent and two rotating uh, for a while. Uh, and that was fun, <laughs> I thought. And uh, so they put, uh, I guess it was a, what, a 5-1-2 setup. And so South Carolina and Arkansas played uh, every year. And, uh, you know, teams rotated on and off, and, and that was good for a little bit. Arkansas was the, the permanent opponent. The Gamecocks actually in that series um, have won three in a row now. Uh, so it ended up in a, in a good way. Uh, but it just so happened, folks, that, uh, you know, when Mississippi State goes off the schedule, they go for being a, a team that contended in the West under Jackie Sherrill because the West used to just be up and down. Now, Arkansas's won that division three times. Mississippi State's won it once. Auburn would go up and down. Bama uh, still won the most, but they go up and down. LSU uh, at the time uh, was making its rise under Nick Saban. Uh, you know, that, that division was pretty much wide open, whereas in the East it was Tennessee, Florida, and then sometimes Georgia. But mostly Tennessee and Florida. Georgia broke through in 2 under Rick. That was their first trip to the championship game. So, you know, you go from there and uh, all of a sudden Mississippi State falls off. Well, then they the bottom falls out of their program for a while. You know, Sylvester Croom. You know, some JUCO recruiting Jackie Sherrill did didn't really pan out. And when you, in those days when you did that, there was no transfer portal, obviously. You know, you have a bunch of upperclassmen that can't play dead in a movie, and then you're very young, and it's, it's just a mess roster-wise. Uh, and until Dan Mullen took over, I mean, I think Kroom had one good year. Actually, Ellis Johnson was the B coordinator for that team that went to Liberty Bowl. And the next year they went right back down, and he was fired. And so, you know – Carolina avoids Mississippi State at that point. I think they played in 06 out there to open the season. Gamecocks won 15 0. Um, they played in 07 too, 38 21. And that was, uh, that was the last, I guess, the last time, you know, the Gamecocks got a chance to play them, you know, and all that. So, you know, during that time period. So then Mullen takes over, they, they cycle back up, but you're still not playing them. So fast forward and Carolina's playing Arkansas, right? And, you know, Arkansas pretty much owned 
the Gamecocks uh, first with Houston Nutt versus Holtz and Spurrier. Uh, and then uh, Bobby Petrino, for some reason, just had the Gamecocks number when he was coaching. Uh, they lost in 08 when they were building, but then 09 was a big win. 2010 was a big 21-point win at Carolina. Uh, 2011, it was one of the two losses, 44-28 out there. Uh, he had a role, and well, then 2012 happens, and, you know, he takes a bike ride that he shouldn't have. <laughs> John L. Smith takes over, so the Gamecocks, you know, win that one. And then in 2013, 52-7 against Brett Bielema. And then uh, they played again in 2017. Uh, Gamecocks, of course, three, I think three defensive touchdowns would be in 48-22. So, you know, it would have been helpful to have the Hogs on the schedule, right? <laughs> Certainly. Okay. Well, <laughs> so Missouri and AM come in, and, you know, Carolina gets Missouri, uh, obviously being in the East. And then, so, you know, here's the decision, you know. A&M uh, is in the league, LSU and uh, Florida. And, you know, they've all – those two schools uh, go back and forth about everything, you know, with, with hurricane reschedules. And there's been some controversy there. I, I don't I don't, I don't, think they love playing each other every year, and, uh, you know, on both sides. Are, why do we have to play Florida? Why do we have to play LSU? Well, LSU wanted to play Carolina, and Florida wanted A&M. And Eric Hyman at the time, uh, it was right before Tanner, uh, but I believe it was Eric Hyman uh, said, no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll take A&M. And, and you're probably like screaming at your, at your uh, listening device right now. Why? Why? Well, think about it. At the time, you know, South Carolina is a top 10 team and A&M is a six and six team coming from the big 12. You know, nobody knew Johnny football was going to be as good as he was. And, you know, they were going to go 11 and two. And they still really, Texas A&M, uh, the pandemic year, they did go nine and one with Jimbo and were right there for the playoff. Heck, if the Big Ten had continued to not play, they would have been in. But, you know, there's eight and four last year. You know, now they're recruiting at a high, high level. So, uh, they're continuing to build in Aggie land. And uh, so, so, so nobody knew that they were going to adapt as quickly as they did in terms of getting to, you know, eight, nine wins. And South Carolina's rolling under Spurrier at the time. So, you know, why not? And I'll remind you guys, in 2014, in the opener, Carolina was number nine in the country and an 11-point favorite in that game, A&M won 52-28. Fool's gold with that secondary that year, folks, and that defense in general. <laughs> During the offseason, I was like, ah, this – yeah, I said, I don't know, you know, I still, I think everybody was stunned, but, you know, and so began the Aggies dominance of Carolina. And, and so and here we are, and, and there's a big difference, um, or at least there has been the last few years, uh, between A&M and Carolina. <laughs> I mean, they beat Carolina's butt. Uh, and so I understand the, 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 the frustration at this point, and I also think it's probably going to be a good thing to get A&M off the schedule. Uh, just every year, if you're looking at, now you got to play them every other year anyway. But you know, I, I think if you're the Gamecocks, you're like, hmm, you know, that's a, it's a pretty good deal, you know, uh, you know, getting them off and rotating. So, uh, you know, I, I I do think that, um, 
you know, when you look back on the A&M decision at the time, it was the right one because, look, LSU, no matter what, you know, they're always going to be, you know, no matter who the coach was, what Carolina was doing, you know, they, look at their lines of scrimmage, look at the athletes they get. Um, you're always, if you're the Gamecocks, most likely going to be behind the eight ball, you know, talent-wise uh, with them. And it's kind of proven it out. I mean, in 2012, you know, Gamecock team, Gamecock's team was really good. Uh, and you saw what happened in Baton Rouge. They pulled the upset. Gamecocks were third in the country at the time. Uh, couldn't stop the run that night. So, you know, they just lined up and ran it out. And that's, you know, you, you start thinking about that. And you're like, well, you don't want LSU as a permanent opponent. <laughs> I mean, you got to go to Tiger Stadium every, you know, two every two years. You know, ah, come on. Um, and so I, I, at the time I agreed with, with playing A&M, nobody knew, I mean, nobody would have predicted that, uh, the Aggies would not lose a single game to the Gamecocks as permanent opponents. So that's where we're at. And uh, that, that's the history there in terms of the permanent opponents, uh, for South Carolina. Uh, I do think that, you know, as I said earlier, based on what I've read, if it's a, if it's a one seven, the permanent will be Kentucky. Uh, if, uh, and that's scary right now because Kentucky has won seven of nine games in the series, but you know, you always got to think you can match up with Kentucky, uh, if you're South Carolina, there's really no reason why you can't. Um, and, and I don't think the game guys have had trouble with them matching up. I think they've just won the game. Look at last year, you know, that was a six point game, fourth quarter game, uh, a couple things go Carolina's way. They end up beating them. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> thinking about it, I'm like, well, you know, there's not, and that, that it's kind of been that way in a lot of those games, Kentucky's won. They've been close, but things just haven't gone South Carolina's way for whatever reason. You know, the one they did win, Carolina lined up and ran it at them, and they hadn't figured out yet to put their receiver at quarterback, <laughs> thankfully. But, um, you know, and that was in 2019. But, uh, you know, so I, I don't mind. I think I think having Kentucky as a permanent opponent makes all the sense in the world. Obviously, you'd rather have Vanderbilt, but uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see sort of what happens. But um, I uh, and I think with three, you know, that keeps alive Georgia maybe. But you know, you, you start thinking about some of the other teams Georgia likes to play every year. You know, the state of Georgia borders how many states? You know, and Georgia is really the only SEC state South Carolina borders. It is the only SEC state South Carolina borders. Um, but then you think, well, if Georgia's going to have one from sort of the lower end, you know, South Carolina makes sense uh, since I guess they're clumping Tennessee into the lower end. Uh, Tennessee may make sense for them. And then they got Florida and then probably Auburn. So, uh, if you're wondering why some of the predictions don't have Georgia and Carolina in it, it it's not because of Carolina. It's more because of Georgia and uh, sort of their traditional games. I mean, you, you're basically locked in if you go to three permanents with Auburn. I think it's one of the longest-running deals there is. Uh, and then Florida. And so then who else do you, you – know, Tennessee is there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure they won't give them Alabama. Um, you know, will they get Vandy, you know, what's the, will they get a Kentucky game? I mean, you know, you, you have to sit there and think about that as far as who from that bottom seven 
uh, Georgia will get Carolina. I think it would, would have a good shot. And I, I'd love to see the Georgia game continue. I mean, outside of Clemson and I think uh, NC state, um, maybe wake forest, I think too. Uh, Carolina's played Georgia more than any other team. And, and I think, I think, I think Georgia's right behind Clemson in that regard. So you like to see it. And, you know, in my lifetime, you know, there was a break uh, in that, in that series, the, the Gamecocks went to Athens uh, Sparky Woods first year and pulled off a 24 to 20 win. And then they didn't play in 90 or 91. That was 1989. Uh, I remember that game because uh, Todd Ellis uh, was healthy and playing and, uh, they got a game guys got up 14, nothing, and then held on uh, for a win in Athens. And then they went back into Athens and won again in 1993. Um, and they've played every year since 92. So, you know, even, uh, I guess even with, um, you know, the COVID year or whatever Gamecocks and Bulldogs still played. And so, you know, you, you want to play that, but at the same time, you go back to every other year, maybe that gives you some relief with as good as Georgia is. You know, there, there's not, there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle uh, right now. And, and, and the other thing is this too, people, I think, I think some teams uh, in their meetings from the uh, lower end, they're going to probably try to line up and play Texas. Uh, and uh, I think right now in its current form, if the Longhorns were in the league, they would get uh, bludgeoned. Uh, because they, you know, they went five and seven last year in the Big 12. But look at what AM did and how quickly they adapted. Now, I'm not saying AM hadn't had some down years because they certainly have. But uh, in terms of against the better teams in the league, but, you know, the resources Texas and Texas AM have, we, we all know. We all know about that. You know, whereas you, you're, you're probably sitting there going, yeah, I don't play Oklahoma every year. Well, Oklahoma has a new coaching staff, and, uh, you know, they're trying to recreate Clemson West out there with Brent Venables, uh, who that's the type of job he was going to take, and I'm, I'm happy for him he got it. Uh, and all the guys that went out there, Oklahoma's a great, uh, great program historically. Um, but, you know, maybe you don't want – maybe maybe it's better to play Oklahoma than Texas. I don't know. Uh, it's just been interesting to kind of look at – Everything with that, like from a Carolina perspective, though, back to that one, the one seven I like better because uh, it's more of a, a crapshoot, you know, in terms of who you get every year. Uh, you're not necessarily locked into playing uh, a team that is, yeah, because like I said, there, there's been a lot of up and down and inconsistency in the league. Uh, and boy, you hit that one year where, you know, maybe you play an LSU and they're down uh, and or Auburn and they're down and that's, that's your two one or two of your tougher games and you get the Mississippis and uh, some schools like that. I mean, you, you know, that's, that sets up well on the same time. If you if Texas and Texas A&M are up and you get Texas, Texas A&M, uh, Alabama, you know, <laughs> uh, it's going to be an uphill climb. So, uh, you know, that's my take with that. I uh, hate to talk about NIL name image likeness again, uh, but wanted to you know, mention that, you know, Carolina rise, uh, which is the name, image, and likeness collective that I'm affiliated with, uh, had a big weekend uh, selling uh, memberships. Uh, I want to tell you about the 1801 Club. Uh, it's a special group uh, that we're, you know, signing people up for. Uh, goal is to get to 2,500. Uh, just for reference, 
Uh, that's about 40% of the, the paid membership at the Big Spur. Uh, it's about 35% if you throw this podcast audience uh, on top of the paid members of the Big Spur. Many of you are paid members of the Big Spur, uh, but there's about you know, a thousand that listen all the time that, that we, we don't think are. Uh, in terms of our research and, and analytics and, and things like that. So that's not that big of a number. Um, and what that will do is if we get to 2,500, that's about 540 grand a year uh, to spend on NIL, you know, maybe, you know, it's at least half a million. Uh, and then we have some bigger uh, membership groups and, and boy, I mean, somebody sent in a thousand dollars this weekend and that was great. Uh, we had a couple guys come in for two thousand. We have a business coming in for twenty five hundred a month, and and that's that's big time. Um, and if you've read, you know, uh, Gamecocks don't necessarily have uh, a big collective out there with thirty million to go spend uh, for right now. And, and so, I, uh, in my opinion, you know, I, I think that with small dollar donations, we can get a nice base. Uh, and Carolina Rice can help. I've already, you know, been working on a couple of deals with some players, and it's uh, it, it's going to be a positive thing. Uh, I do understand that uh, right now it's um, it's tough for some people with the inflation situation, gas prices. Uh, if you're in a business that requires transportation or shipping, because uh, believe me, we, we we sell koozies on Carolina Rise and. Uh, I think I charge $3.99 for shipping and I'm not going to change that. Uh, but man, it costs five bucks to ship a koozie. And I'm like, wow, you know, you're talking about anything over an ounce is like $4.75. So I understand people don't have a lot of extra money. Uh, and I also understand that, you know, you know, as far as the big spur membership, we just had a golf tournament that raised $5,000 for uh, the Ryan Fisher foundation. John little put that together. So everybody's very generous with that. Uh, if you have a membership of the Big Spur, you, you're paying that every month or every year. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, I, I know. Believe me. I mean, you ask somebody to come up with $18 a month. It, it may not sound that big, but uh, it is for, for certain people. And I'm aware of that. And I'm not, you know, I'll never tell anybody how to spend their money. I, I'll just say this. Uh, the more, the merrier. Um, we also have a, uh, if you can't quite get to the 1801 club, we have an N for 10. Um, there's a, uh, one-time membership where if you, if you only have like, uh, 25 bucks and you want to, you don't want to do it a month, you can pop that in there too, or you can buy a koozie, you know, or something like that. So there's all kinds of different ways you can help Carolina rise, uh, the collective and help the Gamecocks, uh, be competitive in this NIL space that we have. Uh, and so uh, I would encourage everybody to do that. Uh, camp season has started. Um, and there will be official visitors on campus this weekend. Uh, and so we'll sort of see, uh, you know, uh, what happens uh, with, with all of that. I'll say this. We've got uh, – I said for a while that the in-state uh, talent base, uh, as far as – camp goes, you, you probably have a handful of in-state guys that uh, emerged during camp. And there, sure enough, there was one uh, from Legion Collegiate Academy in Rock Hill. I guess that's the new 
uh, or newish private school up there in the Rock Hill area. Probably always, uh, you know, I know I said on the podcast, I was like, where is, uh, you know, where's, uh, where, where's all the Rock Hill talent? Well, here's one. Uh, Judge Collier uh, is his name, Judge Collier. 6'1", 185 pounds, 83-inch wingspan, 40-inch vertical jump, 39 and a half, actually, which is tremendous. 10-foot, 2-inch broad jump and ran a legit 4'6", hand-timed in the 40. Uh, obviously, the 40 time, you know, if he was 4'4", you'd be like, wow. You know, 4'6 is, is fast enough in that setting, given his athleticism, uh, wingspan and all that. He was uh, offered, and so – uh, put him on come out and watch, <laughs> uh, you know, put him on, uh, put him on come out and watch, uh, you know, for the game. They, they handed out some offers to some 2024 guys. Uh, Tate Titshaw from, uh, North Oconee, which I believe is North Oconee where Zeb Nolan's dad coaches. It may be Oconee County anyway. North Oconee, uh, he, he transferred from Blessed Trinity in Roswell. Uh, they offered him. He's a running back, um, really good player, uh, kind of worked him out and, and all that. Also uh, offered a 2026 defensive back, Andre Clark, um, which is good. And, uh, you know, they – uh, I guess those were the only two offers that were made. Boatwright, uh, I guess. Here we go. Yeah. Boatwright. What, where's his first name? <laughs> Shoot. Or, anyway, Zymerian Lang. Uh, I'm sorry. Zymerian, Zamarian Lang from Florida, from the Tampa area, 2024 athlete from Palmetto, picked up an offer. Palmetto's were Joseph Hills, for those of you that remember went to school. Um, there's a Miami Palmetto too, but this is the Palmetto in Palmetto, Florida it's on the West coast, Tampa area. And then Jarvis Boatwright, uh, Lang, Zamarian Lang around four, four, eight was the fastest guy there, uh, as an athlete, but these are, these are 2024 kids. And so you get on them early and we see, we see what happens there, uh, with all that. So camp rolls on. Uh, this week, we got official visitors this weekend that we'll obviously talk about, um, just to run those down. I will tell you this right now. If I get the database to pull up, probably not because it's buggy. But anyway, so, uh, that's what's happening in recruiting uh, right now. If we're football, you know, baseball recruiting, I, I can tell you this, and we've talked about the baseball program and Mark Kingston ad nauseum on this show. Um, so I'm just going to kind of put that one to bed. You guys know how I feel about that, but, uh, they look like they've got, you know, right now it, baseball is kind of weird, right? Uh, they, um, they, uh, they have what they think is going to be a good pitching staff coming back. And so they need bats. Obviously <laughs> it's been frustrating watching them hit, um, but they're out on some guys from the portal that are going to, you know, can make some things happen. The transfer portal in college baseball, from what I gather this year, there's coaches all over the place saying, you know, this is going to be huge for our program, uh, not just Carolina. So we'll see what happens. All right. Mailbag coming up. We'll let you listen to this from Tony Pope State Farm Insurance. And we'll be right back. 
Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, time for the IELTS Consulting Mailbag. Two ways to get in the mailbag. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Um, Also follow that Twitter account for the Inside the Gamecocks info. Uh, Also follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram uh, at Inside the Gamecocks and like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Inside the Gamecocks. So, you know, you can tweet to us uh, or you can email us inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. So uh, first and foremost, I want to – Say thanks to uh, Handel at the Carolina Faithful and uh, appreciate him for joining the 1801 Club, Carolina Rise. CarolinaRise.com is how you access it, or you can go straight to CarolinaRiseMembers.com. That's our members portal. Uh, if you want to bypass the front page and just uh, go straight up, sign up, uh, that's how to do that. So thanks for him. And he put that out on Twitter and said, uh, uh, thank you. And he's happy to. Uh, Happy to do it. Carolina Rise uh, Twitter account is at Carolina Rise One. So we certainly uh, appreciate uh, all that. Um, Gamecock Pastor, who always gets in on the action in the IO Consulting mailbag, says Out of the current SEC East teams, who will be in Atlanta the most over the next five seasons outside of Georgia? That's a tough question. You know, Mike Morgan and I were talking about this on the JC and Morgan podcast. By the way, we'll have a new episode on Wednesday. Got a special guest coming on to talk SEC. Uh, <clears throat> you don't know. Um, you know, obviously, you know, when you look at Florida, they always recruit speed and good athletes. Uh, and you know that Billy Napier, given his track record of winning, should win. That said, there's been some guys that you think should win there that haven't, so uh, you just never know. Um, but the Gators, uh, I think, you know, can re- recruit well enough to get there. Uh, and obviously, outside of Georgia lately, I mean, Florida's been the the school that's done it the most. I mean, I think uh, they were there in 2016, uh, Georgia in 2017, 2018, 2019, and then 2020 Gators, you know, 2021 Georgia. So uh, Florida had the one time under Mullen the pandemic year that they won. So, you know, uh, what it and, – and they they went twice under McElwain. So if you had to put money on it, you'd probably say Florida just by history. But, you know, uh, Missouri and Kentucky just had – by the numbers, their best recruiting classes ever. Uh, and certainly I mentioned Kentucky had been winning. Um, I don't think Missouri had the year they wanted to last year under Eli Drinkwitz, but 
he's doing some good things, especially with in-state talent. And that that's they're sort of like South Carolina. That's been the key for them for years is not only the in-state talent, but across the river uh, in Illinois, uh, East St. Louis, Illinois is loaded every single year. Uh, and they've gotten some guys from there. So they've, you know, they're looking good. Tennessee, obviously, uh, everybody's in love with Tennessee because their offense uh, and the way they were able to put points on the board last year at Hunter and Hooker. They got a five-star quarterback from California coming in. You know, I think South Carolina has recruited well enough and has uh, enough in the tank uh, to be part of that conversation. Um, you know, shoot. Yeah, so, so, so there you go. I named everybody but Vandy. You know, Vanderbilt's just kind of in a hole. Uh, you know, I thought a few years back we were talking – um, about after 2019, if Muschamp should return or not. And, and he did. And, you know, I, I could have made a case either way. But I've said this many times. Thank God he came back. Because with all the stuff that happened uh, in the 2020 offseason, uh, a new coach with no relationship so far with the players, uh, maybe – you know, first of all, recruiting in 2020, and there's a lot of good players in that 2020 class that would have, you know, gone elsewhere. And you know, those are the guys that are making a lot of things. Those guys are making a difference now. Um, you know, that was number one. And then number two, Muschamp kind of held the ship together. Uh, say what you want about Will Muschamp. Um, but he held that thing together as well as anybody in the country during the offseason. And, you know, then Shane Beamer, to his credit, comes in and holds it together even further. Now, there were some guys that left, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, just, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it could have been a lot worse, you know, and it, it actually ended up being pretty good because a lot of guys that were very promising stuck with the program and they bought in with Shane Beamer. So you, you do have to give Beamer some credit. I mean, it's not all like, you know, thank you, Will Muschamp, for keeping everything intact. But if you think about everything that happened that summer, you know, and, and just the, the turmoil, um, you know, you, you kind of look back on it and go, well, you know, two and eight uh, with no defense and a all, co all SEC COVID year. Uh, the, the record obviously was unacceptable. That's why there was a coaching change uh, seven games in. Um, but you look back on it and you go, well, well, for that year, you, you probably sacrificed that year to get to where you are roster wise, uh, heading in now, in, in my opinion, uh, you know, and, and so it was almost good that they didn't make the move at that point. Well, Vanderbilt also, uh, did not make the move. And if you look at them, they got ransacked by the transfer portal. You know, Clark Lee uh, inherited a bad situation. I mean, Beamer, everybody said Beamer inherited a mess. I, I think Beamer inherited a team that has potential but just didn't quite know how to win, and he had a revolving door quarterback and questions about the offensive uh, philosophy and scheme and, you know, some young guys on defense and depth and, you know, some key injuries here and there. And that was, you know, that, that was a seven and six, even though there were some – I mean, what I would call unacceptable moments. Uh, the totality of it ended up being pretty good for a first year. You got back above water. And, and that's exactly what Shane Beamer needed to do. Um, but I think Clark Lee at Vanderbilt inherited 
you know, a bad situation. Um, I know some guys on that staff. I know they'll go and find guys and recruit them and develop them. But that's that's a – Vandy's in a tough situation right now in football. Uh, and they probably should have made a change earlier, you know, in my opinion, just because – you know, I, ne- I never really – Derek Mason, you know, never really thought he was the answer there. Uh, he, he comes in, he inherits a team that had won nine two years in a row. Uh, they have a lot of people back, and all of a sudden they switch from the nifty spread that James Franklin liked to run to a pro-style offense. and uh, Then they switch from the 4-3 defense to a 3-3-5 stack or 3-5 whatever. And, man, oh, man, you know, I mean, that was mm, – you know, that was a disaster. They went winless in the SEC in 2014. And I called that Vandy fans got mad at me <laughs> like, no, nah, I just don't think they're going to win. And they did. Um, and, and so outside of beating Tennessee, and then they did upset Georgia in Athens one year, Mason had a disaster uh, of a tenure at, at Vandy and it went on way too long. Um, say what you want. It went on way too long. So, you know, there, so, so I don't include them. Point is the game got passed. I don't, I don't include them in a, uh, in a situation game got past her with another one on the Twitter line at the big spur pod, by the way, uh, how will teams defend against free agency in the future? For example, let's say Georgia, or let's say Carolina has a Jordan Addison level guy in 2027, but the team is eight and four. How will coaches and schools adapt to keeping a guy like that from going to a blue blood for a big NIL deal? Well, that's why you got to keep your culture good. You know, that's why you got to, and look, there's a big difference, Gamecock Pastor, even though Pitt was in the New Year's uh, Six Bowl and won the ACC championship last year, you know, they don't draw – they play in a pro stadium. They don't draw that well compared to the Steelers, obviously. They were once great, you know. And, and you know, look, I, lo- I love Pitt, and I love Pat Narduzzi, and, you know, I think they've done as well of a job. as They're the new – to me, they're kind of the new Michigan State, which is where Narduzzi came from. But, you know, there's a big difference between that and you go and you win the Bolitnikoff and then going out to Southern Cal for your final season and, you know, making that NIL money. And, and Jordan Addison's absolutely worth it. You know, what happens at South Carolina if that happens? Well, you know, Addison also is from Maryland, right? And Caleb Williams from D.C., Maryland, you know, they're friends. Uh, you know, I think that there's two things at play. Number one, I think South Carolina will be able to, to keep their players. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean guys aren't going to transfer, but as far as guys, uh, getting plucked off the roster, you know, that this is a big sec program. I mean, it's not, it's not Pitt. you know, Pitt is about the highest level. I think, you know, teams will be able to go just pluck players. Um, now there's going to be guys like Jermaine Burton from Georgia that went to Alabama right after Georgia beat Alabama, uh, from California, you know, that he's just, I guess he's just stopping in Tuscaloosa on his way back home or whatever, but, uh, there are going to be situations like that where, where guys jump. Uh, I don't know that it was prearranged. Uh, if you have a situation like Georgia tech where you're not only not winning, you know, but you're 
you know, not drawing and there's just no life in your program. Yeah. They're going to have lose guys. Um, and, and so that's something to keep an eye on too. And then, uh, you know, so, so it's up to Carolina, I think to create an environment where guys don't even think about leaving. And if you notice, Shane Beamer has done a pretty good job of it. The experience for student athletes at South Carolina uh, is outstanding uh, across the board, really. Uh, and I know basketball had a lot of transfers and all that, but that's to be expected with a coaching change. So, uh, you know, so, so there we go. Um, and so I think, uh, I think South Carolina is well positioned to keep guys. Now, it's not to say that there won't be something like that that happens, but – you know, I sort of think that, you know, with, with all the coaching changes that took place this year um, and the fact that South Carolina uh, does not have a ton of uh, in-state guys, you know what I'm saying, uh, comparatively. Uh, they have many, but they don't have a lot. Uh, I'm, You know, if it was going to happen, uh, and going to be a huge issue. I think this offseason, it would have, I mean, you know, you look and you see, you know, a lot of guys on the roster where, I mean, you know, uh, how about, I mean, I'll just give, give an example. You know, did Marshawn Lloyd take off and go home to Maryland? You know, because I can guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you, uh, they'd love to have him. Let's just put it that way. So uh, he didn't. And uh, that's a tribute to the experience at South Carolina. I think also, with current players, as opposed to recruits, you know, South Carolina is doing well with NIL. Uh, you, you got the Gamecock Nation, you know, you got a lot of these guys like Lloyd with their own brand and all that good stuff, and Gamecock Nation stepped up and bought. I mean, they bought the heck out of Spencer Rattler's stuff and Lloyd's stuff and everybody's stuff. By the way, if you go to carolinarise.com and you scroll down, on the front page, there's uh, links, nine, I think nine or ten of them, uh, to, to players, uh, gears, and gear and stuff like that. And, uh, by the way, just a disclaimer, there's no partnership with Carolina Rise and these. I'm, I'm just doing it so you got as an awareness thing. So I don't get a cut. We don't get a cut. It's just there uh, to help the guys. And, and South Carolina's guys have done a gr- as good of a job as anybody. Uh, you know, getting out there, being entrepreneurs and all that. And the university supports them in that. So I think for current players, Carolina's well positioned to, to hold on to it. Not saying it's not going to happen because definitely could. But uh, right now, I just, you know, I feel like it's more likely that the Gamecocks, when you, when you look at the transfer portal, by the way, Rico Powers, who left Carolina, uh, is at Jackson State, going to go play for Dion. Sanders out there and Shiloh and, and, and those guys at Jackson State in Mississippi. Um, that was the latest guy from the portal that landed somewhere. But, um, you know, but when you look at it, uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina, you know, is going to benefit from the portal, you know, more than it loses, you know, and I think that's what you want, you know, and you look at it, John Whittle's got a great article up on the big spur about the players that left and, and you kind of look at them and you go, well, the players that they brought in are upgrades, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you, it was it bad. Now, now, now I'll give you another example of this Colby fields, promising young linebacker, right. Plucked him out of Louisiana. Uh, 
LSU, as I've said many times, they, they basically hung a shingle out in front of Tiger Stadium saying, we have like 47 roster spots. Uh, so, you know, we need, uh, you know, we need players. And Arkansas lost some starters from Louisiana that went back home. And Colby Fields is from Metairie, Louisiana. So the second part of that is uh, Gamecock Pastor. It sort of depends on where they're from, too. That's why getting in-state guys, even though there's not a bunch of them, is important. Because the in-state guy, maybe not going to leave, you know. And so unless for some reason, like, Clemson gets a new coach and wants to, you know, I I don't know, you know, then it's still in-state or whatever. But, uh, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, I think the Gamecocks are are well-positioned to not have their roster rated, uh, if that makes any sense. Now. Uh, but like I said earlier, you go out and you did a great job of evaluating the Fields kid from Louisiana. You put the work in and you got him. You beat Memphis on him. LSU comes, you know, hey, we'd like for this kid to come back home. That's tough. That's tough. Now, not saying you shouldn't take kids out of Louisiana because there's a lot of good players there. And if one can help you, you take them. But, uh, you know, going home sometimes is tough. And, and the Burton kid that went to Alabama from Georgia was probably the most shocking one. Um. And as we all know, NRL at Alabama is basically like, you know, you come here and you're at Alabama, you're going to make money. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that NIL had much to do with it. I think it was more Bryce Young um, that did that. And, and we'll see how Jermaine Burton does this year in Alabama. They got a lot of, a lot of talent at receiver. Uh, Cosmo Davis coming in on the Twitter line. He says, JC, what is the best way to support non-football and non-basketball players through NIL for non-business owners. Um, eh, Garnet, well, it depends on what non-football and non-basketball you're talking about. Uh, For baseball, um, you know, I would give to Carolina Rise because that's definitely part of what Carolina Rise is going to be doing. Uh, For the rest, uh, I'll tell you this, and, and look, I've said this many times. They're not in. We're not in competition with them for NIL. We compete as far as the Big Spur versus Gamecock Central. I know that Garnet Trust provides some content for Gamecock Central. That's fine, but, but we're not in competition. Uh, Garnet Trust has on their website a listing of all student athletes, and so you can actually go and give directly to a player you know, in, you know, volleyball or golf or, or whatever, they have little profiles and stuff. So I would recommend that if you, if you want to help out, um, if it's baseball, you're talking about, then, uh, please join Carolina rice. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, join the 1801 club or whatever, but, uh, if you get into vo- look, I'm not saying that Carolina rise will never have an NIL deal with the volleyball player or whatever. That's just not the focus right now. Uh, until we get, you know, a bunch of money coming in, you know, that, that that's basically you have to, cause you know, I'm not going to go spend what we don't make. And, you know, that'd be stupid promise. That's the, that's the fear, you know, you promise something and then it, it, it doesn't, you know, you don't have the funds. So I've got to, I got to work it under budget, but I'm, I'm running it lean and mean, you know, I, I've spent $0 in startup costs uh, out of the amount we've raised. I put a lot out of my pocket into it you know, up until the, 
up until the amount I can write off and then I give a monthly donation uh, and that'll continue to happen until, you know, I get out. I think like, can you write off like 5,000 worth of startup cost? So, and I'll continue to do that. I'm not, I'm not really, uh, I'm I still got some room to, to work there. So we haven't, we haven't spent any overhead on it, but uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's a focus for Carolina rise on three sports uh, football, men's basketball, and baseball. And look, men's basketball and baseball need it. I mean, those guys aren't, they're not really like the football guys that are out there on their own raking in the dough and they need it, especially men's basketball. It's crazy. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Cosmo Davis. Nick says, JC, you mentioned DJ Black from Chapman High School on the previous podcast while talking walk-ons. I watched him play during a trip to the upstate last year and looked really good. Best player on the field that night, hands down, could be a diamond in the rough. Yeah. I don't know what there is not to like about him. You know, he's tall. He's a track guy. He's got hands. Uh, Chapman, you know, Nick Colasaro, and who's a linebacker you saw him play in the spring game. Uh, and then um, DJ Twitty, uh, who is a transfer from East Tennessee State. Uh, the, he's a big kind of fullback guy from Chapman that they've got. So Chapman, you know, Toby Cates and Debo Samuel notwithstanding, Chapman's pretty good. I think a walk-on receiver, Ben Rollins, is from Chapman as well. Uh, so that little little school in Inman, South Carolina, in Spartanburg County, has been pretty good. But, yeah, I'm excited about seeing him. I mean, you know, honestly, uh, Kyle Horton, who uh, is enrolled, uh, who they got from eight-man football, uh, he's kind of an upside guy. But also DJ Black has that upside as well. So I don't know that there's a huge amount of difference between those two, except one one's a scholarship guy and one's not. So we'll see sort of uh, how that goes down. All right, I want to tell you about iHealth Consulting. Um, and because this is the iHealth Consulting mailbag, uh, and we do this every episode, we appreciate it. Once again, uh, you can get to the mailbag by tweeting to at the Bixford pod or uh, email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com and the emails are coming up. But if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp's a Gamecock owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you're paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And also, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help, cannot help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my friend Daniel Owens at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule an absolutely free consultation. That number again is 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? And uh, Daniel uh, with iHelp is great with uh, breaking down all your expenses with your business, helping you save money. Uh, it's not like most consultants because if, uh, you know, you go pay a consultant sometimes and whatever he or she tells you doesn't work out, you're still on the hook for their fee. Uh, Daniel only charges you a percentage of the first year savings. Uh, so you're making money and he's making money. So there's no reason why uh, you can't just take a chance and call Daniel 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com. Uh, free consultation and tell him JC sent you. Uh, Daniel's been with me since day one. 
a really good guy. Glad to call him a friend, proud Gamecock, and certainly uh, does great work with iHealth Consulting. Um, Sean emails in inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Was listening to the Cover 3 podcast, and they uh, talked about the future of SEC scheduling. They seem to all agree it's going to go to three permanent opponents and six rotating. They also agree that South Carolina is going to get screwed in this because they seem to think nobody considers them a worthy rival, which is interesting as they all agree Tennessee and Alabama is a rivalry, but the Vols haven't beaten Alabama in 15 years while South Carolina has handed UGA and Florida their fair share of losses in the last 15 years. So in your opinion, who do you think USC's true rivals are in the league, and who would you want three permanent opponents to be? Personally, I wouldn't mind Texas being a new rival because of the trip to Austin. Thanks, Sean. Oh, I agree. Austin's great. My boy Keith also, Cockfather, lives out in Austin. And I, 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 uh, I've been there once uh, for Keith's birthday. Quick trip out. Uh, flown through there a couple of times. Certainly would like to kind of spend more time there. And, you know, it's Texas. But, I, but I'll say this, you know, I don't, I don't know what they were talking about Carolina getting screwed because my definition of getting screwed would be your three permanent opponents are, you know, Texas A&M, LSU, and Alabama. <laughs> uh, and that's not going to happen. Um, you know, in, in as far as the rivalry thing goes, what, what the hell does it matter? Uh, you know, I, I think South Carolina's biggest rival in, in the SEC is Georgia, but Georgia, you know, because their state borders so many different states and because, you know, you have the Auburn tradition and you have the Florida tradition in Jacksonville, uh, Tennessee borders that state. I mean, you know, they, they've got a lot of rivals. Clemson's their rival, you know, in some ways. Um, and South Carolina is their border rival. And Georgia's just one of those schools that everybody kind of, Everybody kind of gets up to play them, right? Uh, and I think Georgia. I think I think the two most the two most important SEC games every year for Carolina are Georgia, Tennessee, um, and that you know there's some history there with Tennessee. It, that state does not border South Carolina, but it's right up there uh, in Eastern Tennessee. It's within driving distance of a bunch of recruits. The Gamecocks involves both. Uh, they compete in recruiting. They compete on the field. You know, Tennessee, to me, uh, has always been very, very important. Going back to the 90s when Tennessee would come get, you know, Dominique Stevenson and Albert Hainsworth, uh, all those guys uh, out of the state of South Carolina. You go all the way back to Stanley Morgan from Easley that uh, went to Tennessee. Uh, and so you want to keep those – you want to be – always want to be competitive against those guys. But as far as getting screwed, I mean, I don't know how – you know, you're screwed if, you know, Kentucky and two other teams or you're, you know, I mean, and like I said, they're not reading. Okay. Uh, so whoever's saying that's not really reading and, and I, look, I didn't listen to it. So I'm not going to come down too hard on those guys. Um, but they're specifically saying South Carolina is getting screwed. Now you have to read what the deal is. You know, South Carolina is going to get two of the, bottom set and I hate to keep saying the bottom seven because there there's you know I guess there's haves and have nots and all of a sudden AM's a have uh and take Tennessee's a have not even though Tennessee's a big six but they're gonna get you know and, and I'll I'll go ahead and name the teams Tennessee Vandy Kentucky uh from the eastern division um Missouri from the eastern division 
and then Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State from the other one. Um, and the the two permanents uh, or two of the three permanents if they go to three are going to be out of that group. And the other one, you know, UF, A&M, Texas, Alabama. I mean, yeah, I saw one where Oklahoma was the one of the permanent opponents for South Carolina. And that could happen, you know, and that'd be fine. I mean, Oklahoma, you know, they're going to, they're going to probably, they're going to play Texas every year. I think they probably want to play A&M. Uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas, even though those, they are border states, they don't, they don't play it a whole lot. You know, Missouri would be a team that Oklahoma, I think, would want to play. Uh, going back to the Big 12 days, you know, and obviously they have their game with Texas. So, you know, it could happen. It could be Texas. I mean, it could be anybody uh, in that big spot. I tend to believe that if I had to put percentages on it, it'll be Florida or, or Georgia, you know, because I, you know, I, Florida, are they going to keep wanting to play LSU every year? There's some talk of, you know, them wanting to play Auburn again. Well, you know, is Auburn going to want to play Alabama, Florida, and Georgia every year? I mean, I, I don't know, you know. Uh, but I tend to think, you know, Florida and two others, Georgia and two others. Now, it could it end up being Georgia, Tennessee, and Missouri, which is not – yeah. I mean, I think Kentucky will be on there somewhere. Just because, you know, Kentucky's kind of the same boat as Carolina and the, their rivals in the ACC – that's the big game they get up for. Of course, they have a border game with Tennessee, so who knows? But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see what happens. But I don't, you know, as far as the Gamecocks don't have a true rival, I, you know, I look, I'll be honest, you know, Georgia, the way to get their attention, uh, you know, is to beat them. And obviously those games between, you know, Spurrier's teams and, and Georgia were full of emotion and big crowds. You know, Lou Holtz took some great big time. I mean, you know, the, the South Carolina game uh, for Georgia, especially when it's early in the year, that, that that's a big one because it's usually the first one, you know, and they bring a bunch of fans over to Columbia. I mean, it's it's not it, – it's a it's a border war, and uh, it has its own place, I think, in the SC, within the, the scope of the SEC schedule. You know, I can't believe it's a new kickoff this year, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, so that that game, you know, even you talk to Georgia fans too, and a lot of Georgia fans, you know, it depends on who they're where they're from. You know, if they have ties to South Carolina, if they're living, there's a lot of dogs that live in Charleston and the Upstate, uh, Augusta dogs. You know, those, those guys all want to beat South Carolina every year, and then we play Clemson, Clemson too. But you know, the ones from uh, Dalton and uh, Cartersville, I, Tennessee games big because they're right there next to Tennessee. The ones, you know, down I-85, uh, they're sort of looking forward to that, uh, yeah, that Auburn game. And then the ones in South Georgia, obviously it's the cocktail party. And the cocktail party's huge, you know. So they, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take offense at, at what they were saying. I, I just think that, you know, sometimes people say things and, and it's a hot take and then they look at it as a glance and they don't really dig in. And when I was covering national recruiting, and I covered recruiting more so than, you know, the actual game-to-game teams, but I, I was very interested in learning the history of every school. Uh, in other words, you know, you wouldn't think this, but like Oregon and Oregon State, that's a rivalry. They call it the Civil War. Those schools are like, 
he could throw a stone and, and hit Eugene from Corvallis. Uh, well, not that, but it's not that close, but it's close. You know, I can't think of any outside of like Duke, North Carolina. I can't think anybody that's closer. Um, maybe Penn state, Maryland, but is that a, I don't know. But, uh, you know, so, so, so that's, that's it. it, it but then you, you say, you assume the beavers and ducks, that's their big one. But what, what you don't know is when you talk to people from Washington and Oregon, they hate each other, like worse than, like Washington doesn't like Washington State that much, but Washington State's sort of on the other side of the state, uh, and it, it's kind of like two different cultures, Seattle versus Pullman. I mean, it, that, that's just kind of how that shapes up. But as far as who those two teams really, really hate, and, and they've socked it to each other over the years when one's been up and one's been down, it's Oregon and Washington. And, and so I took the time to learn things like that. I took the time to learn that there's a bunch of bad blood between UNLV and Nevada, Reno. <laughs> which is Nevada. You know, I, I took the time to learn that, you know, Colorado used to get up, you know, they're not really Colorado, Colorado state, Colorado state gets up more for it, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I wish more people would do that. Uh, Cause I, I think we're in a time right now and I'm not saying the cover three guys do this at all. Cause I, I like their show and I think they do a great job. Uh, but but I think we're in a point now with college football media nationally, you know, because of the, the the focus on the four team playoff, the intense focus and the hype around it, um, and because every game's on TV, and because you know you're you're not surprised when South Carolina's on you know ESPN or whatever, uh, you know. Whereas when you used to finally play that big televised game, everybody paid attention. Um, you know, and then the overemphasis, I think, on star rankings and recruiting and the fact many people interpret them to be like team rankings, like like the AP poll, uh, whereas, you know, there's a big difference between the 15th ranked team in the country and the 23rd uh, in recruiting. That, that, that difference is finite, okay, because you're really talking about a couple of, of evaluations on a couple of players if you're looking at composites. So I wish more people would dig in a little bit more uh, with various programs, even the ones that aren't historically good, you know, because I, I think all that stuff's interesting, you know, with college football, like, you know, who does Rutgers hate? You know, well, they don't like Syracuse very much, you know, you know and they, but they hate, they hate Penn State, you know, <laughs> and that kind of thing. You know, so I, uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I was always interested in that stuff. So I don't know why more people don't look into it. Thank you, Sean, as always, my man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Jonathan, this is just a question from left field. Seems like NCAA deep pockets could sue the NFL, NBA, and WNBA on behalf of all college and amateur athletes make them the plaintiff, to not have age restrictions or class restrictions preventing athletes from going pro. They would have the media and public opinion on their side. As soon as they win the case, they could put bylaws for athletes that prohibit NIL. And if you want to go pro, you can, because there's no restriction there, your choice. Uh, well, you eliminate NIL. I mean, you can't. Here's the problem with NIL is – the NCA was absolutely stupid about this, okay? Because it, it, it comes down to common sense. You're in a court of law, like, you know, and these people aren't diehard fans or boosters or coaches or anything like that. They're just looking at it like what is lawful 
you know, what, what is constitutional in a lot of ways, uh, what kind of aligns with our values in this country, you know, as a capitalist free society. Um, everybody's kind of looking at it like that, not about, oh, these are amateur athletes and we have to protect this. And, and so they got to the, the NIL part of it and, um, you know, they're defending something. I think it was the O'Bannon case and uh, with the, the video game. You know, th- then their answer is we just won't do the video game anymore. What? Uh, you know, and, and it would have been very easy to just say, okay, well, we're going to kick our players, you know, every player that, that you know, whose number or whatever is in the video game, we're going to, you know, funnel them, you know, four or 500 bucks and, we'll make an agreement and all that. Now you also get into agents and stuff like that. With, 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 you, know, you could have come and made a deal. Okay. You could have made a deal. And, you know, and I remember this too, when I, when I worked for rivals.com in 06, we had a deal in place with EA sports and uh, to do, it was going to be the rivals.com recruiting feature, right? The branding, the, the star rankings, all that intellectual property uh, we were going to give to them. And it had been huge for our company at the time because Rivals was, it was before they sold to Yahoo and it was a, a young upstart company. And we, we were all into it. The NCAA, because in all their wisdom, because they can't profit off of recruiting, you know, because they're not supposed to cut, you're not supposed to talk about it or whatever. Um, they came in and they were going to cancel the game contract with EA Sports then. And EA said, well, we got to have the NCAA. It was just a mess. So they botched this thing from the start, you know. And so then they go to court, like I said, and, and you're sitting there and the, 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 I guess the plaintiff and their attorney, they were like, okay. So, and, and the NCAA's answer was, we don't want corporations wrongfully influencing players. And so then they show these pictures of these guys at the final four and there's a Chevrolet sign up and then there's this up and that up. And how much money do you make off advertising with these corporate sponsors and all that? Like, oh, we make all this. And like, well, how in the hell is that even possible? You know, so the NCAA, what they could have done before that ever got to court way back when the O'Bannon case happened, right? Is say, okay, we're, we're going to do NIL. Uh, you know, kind of like the Olympics uh, and, and follow that model. It's still amateur, but, you know, here, here are the restrictions on it. Here's the guardrail. Um, you know, you, you can sell your own stuff. You can you know, have a, I mean, there was one player that had a YouTube cooking show uh, and because he made Google ad money, which is not that, trust me, folks, it's not that much. Uh, off of it, he had to either he had to quit doing it or or not or take it off monetization. I mean, this is a, just a football player that had a cooking show and he never talked about anything athletically. I mean, how, how is that fair? You know, you're you're selling a bunch of jerseys and gear. I mean, you know, South Carolina when, when NIL got approved, one of the first things that the school did, you know, which which I think was proactive, was say, okay, well, you, you get a piece of your jersey sales now. You can get just about any jersey you want. That's cool. You know, those kids deserve that. You know, if, if you want to have a camp like the Carrie and Joyner had, that's fine too. If you want to sell T-shirts, that's cool. And I think all that aligns with the college mission because you're teaching guys how to be entrepreneurs. And I know that like, well, trust me, I think in a lot of colleges these days, the, the focus is definitely not on entrepreneurship or capitalism, but by God, 
that's the way America runs. And I think that's more valuable than, you know, taking a class on Canadian yarn art or whatever, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, you know, that's more valuable to these players, I think, than anything. Learning how to work a business, and file taxes and, and everything like that. And they could have done it like that and kept it in its truest sense. And sure, there, there are some schools who, depending on what media market they're in, they're going to end up, uh, you know, having a little bit more success with it or paying out a little more, but you could still kind of keep it, you know, keep it going. I mean, you know, Auburn is in a small TV market, right? In and of itself, small media market at Auburn. But Birmingham, Auburn people are going to step up and get guys. The Yellowwood guy is going to get, you know, star players to talk about Yellowwood. I mean, you know, they just had to use some common sense, and they didn't. And so now it's governed by 50 different state laws. And they're all different. They all have a little quirk. South Carolina state law is changing in July. The Tennessee's changed their law. I mean, it, it's a free-for-all. And there's nothing they can do about it because they didn't stop it or didn't put guardrails on it when they had the chance. And now that agents are involved and lawyers are involved and there's this overinflated sense of worth for top recruits and you have the athletic pushing their agenda or whatever – uh, some of the writers there, not all of them, some of them, um, and it's 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 free market capitalism. You, you know, you, you know, you know. Like I, I sit there and go, it's not worth eight million dollars for Tennessee to sign that five star quarterback, right? Uh, so a writer called him a generational talent, and I'm like, well, we've had what how five straight years in recruiting where that word's been. T- I think somebody needs to learn. Some folks need to learn the definition of a generation. Um, you know, I'm, I thought that, but that's that's my opinion as someone that has evaluated players and that, you know, understands that, yes, it's better to sign four and five-star guys and have a highly ranked recruiting class because your percentages are better at those guys hitting. But, you know, there's not been a big study on what happens when they're millionaires walking in the door. You know, in the NFL, uh, you know, your contracts aren't guaranteed. So you got to still work and play. And then that's the way this sport is. Uh, Cause if you're not working and you're not developing and getting better and taking care of yourself and all that, there's somebody else that will take your spot. There's too many football players out there that are kind of in the same range uh, ability wise, the ceiling. I mean, you know, as far as their ceiling goes, you know, and floor. And, and so what's to keep the guy with a high ceiling, low floor, that outworks the high floor, high ceiling guy from having from ultimately reaching his ceiling while the other guy doesn't. Nothing. And you throw millions of dollars in there too. I mean, that that for young people, that you know, there's a reason that uh people that are famous at a young age end up having some problems. Uh, and the fame has something to do with it. Um, but the money has a lot to do with it. <laughs> so uh We'll see sort of what happens there. But, yeah, th- this is all in the NCAA that's gotten out of control. My man Tristan comes in. He says, Trayon Webb. Webb tweeted that he had previously been committed twice already and wanted to be 100% sure before committing again. I don't know if you can say or not, but could he be one of the silent commits that never came out because he changed his mind? No, and, and Tristan, we only have one silent commit that, uh, you know, South Carolina has one silent commit that hasn't come out yet. 
And I can tell you it's not Webb. Uh, and Webb was publicly committed to Oklahoma, if you remember. Uh, I don't know if he was committed somewhere else before that or not, but I think it's been public with him both times. Uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think he's going to Florida. Just to just to be straight with you, uh, I don't I don't think the game. I think Gamecocks made a nice run. I think you know if he goes to Florida and isn't happy, maybe he's a portal guy down the road. But I think he's going to Florida. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Once again. Thanks to Heritage Digital, Cindy Serpos, Realtor, Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance, and the uh, iHelp Consulting. Uh, I'm sorry, not the iHelp Consulting. iHelp Consulting that does the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com is the email or tweet at the Big Spur Pod. Also, carolinarise.com if you want to get in on the NIL opportunities uh, for the Gamecocks and, and help the Gamecocks be uh, competitive in that space. Uh, certainly we would love to have you there. All right, JC Sherbert signing off on a Monday. See you later this week. That's all the time we have on Inside the Gamecocks.